God is not going to forget his covenant. God made a promise to Israel. He is not going to forget it. I want you to know that this earth had a starting date. On the first day of creation, there was light. Then, of course, dry land, the firmament, dry land, and all of that. This planet had a beginning date, an original starting date. It hasn't always existed. God called it into existence. This current earth has a final day. There's going to be a day when this earth is not like it is anymore. And that day is in Zechariah 14. It is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. He's going to come and he's going to set up a kingdom of righteousness and he's going to regenerate this planet. This current planet will be remade, regenerated to look and be like the Garden of Eden. And Jesus will be in the capital city, seated on his throne. And I've already explained from you the prophets, uh, many of the prophets, but Isaiah particularly, how that's going to be and what the excitement and the music and the colors and the sounds as Jesus enters from the Mount of Olives. He walks into Jerusalem and he sits down on the throne. What a glorious day. And we're going to be there following him into the city of Jerusalem. We're going to be going through the gates. You can put your hands on the walls. You can look at all the fabrics and the colors. You can eat the food. You can smell the food. You can hear the sounds. You can sing praise. It's going to be glorious, triumphant days. We're not there yet. We're in the in-between days. We're in the now, but not yet, right? We're in the days when it's cloudy and dark and cold and rainy. And there's coming a day, though, when all of this will pass and everything will be right. The church belongs in heaven with Jesus. Jesus belongs on the throne in the, in the kingdom. Israel belongs in their land. Satan belongs in hell. But so far, nobody's where they're supposed to be. It's like all the pieces of the puzzle are hanging out there. And someday, we all get to our right location. We get raptured up to heaven. We come back to the Lord, with the Lord. The Lord's seated in the capital on his throne. The devil's locked up. And then he's cast in a lake of fire. Ah, isn't that going to be glorious? But we're all right now in the middle of this big puzzle. But it's coming together faster than we know. It really is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text in Zechariah. It is the coming of Jesus in power and great glory. He is coming to set up his kingdom. He's coming to save his people from the enemy. And I am so thankful for the triumph of this day. Give us hope in the victory of Jesus. We love our Savior. We want to follow him. We are not ashamed of the one who is Lord over all and will one day rule with righteousness his own kingdom of Israel. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thank you for this text and all of the hope it produces within us. This hope, as Ted just shared with his special, this hope should purify our lives, bring about lives of holiness. That is a mark of your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for the truth of God's word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you know what happens. Jesus comes back. Where's the remnant of people? There's a small remnant of people inside Jerusalem. They're, cover- they're cowering. They're hiding. They are overwhelmed by the enemy. The enemy has broken into the city. They are plundering. They have looted. And now they're dividing up the spoils. And the believers, they're all looking at each other like, we are going to die. The door is going to open and somebody with a machine gun or some tank or some kind of some type of ballistic missile is going to aim it at us and we are going to die. We don't have this is too late. And then and then appears the Lord Jesus Christ in glory, right? He sets foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits with the most ma- what kind of sound does it will it take when that Mount of Olives two and a half mile ridge splits and half of it moves north maybe it moves a mile and a half north half of it moves south 
leaving a big, wide valley. What is that going to sound like? Are you going to see it? Come on, church, are you going to see it? Yes, of course you're going to see it. Uh, I can't wait. When we hear that sound, we're going to be like, Hallelujah! Go, Lord! It's going to be the greatest victory. All right. Not only does he split a mountain, two more things happen in this rebuilding of Jerusalem. He, he splits the mountain. Look at verse 6. We're moving to Zechariah 14, verse 6. The Lord God, Jesus, has come with all of his saints, holy angels, and the church. Verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day. This is under my second point, Jerusalem's being rebuilt. It's being rebuilt with this valley, the mountain splits. Verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. Hey, we already knew that. From Matthew chapter 24, it says, when the coming of the Son of Man arrives onto this planet, all of the sun and all of the moon and all of, literally, the stars will fall like fig Figs off, ripe figs off of a tree. Has, has anybody seen a fig tree lately? All right. If you see a ripe fig tree, and I've been over in Israel during that time period, and the figs are ripened, the fruit is on the tree, and then the slightest breeze comes, and the, the breeze comes, and the figs just drop. They, they just, the weight of the fig and the weakness of the little stem, boom, they just, they like fall. It's pretty phenomenal. Like, they all fall at once. Boom! Like that. It's kind of cool. Slight little wind. So Jesus, before he comes back, the sun is dark. The moon is dark. What's that going to do to air currents? What's that going to do to the temperature? Wow. Ice cold. And then you look up, and all of the constellations, they fall like figs coming off of a tree. Boom! Just falling away. Phenomenal. So in that day when Jesus comes, it's going to be dark. The lights will diminish. There will be no light. The lights will diminish, literally to thicken, to condense, to congeal, to draw together. It shall be in one day. This is going to be, I think, one time period, one day, which is known to the Lord. He knows when he's coming back. He knows what he's going to do, neither day nor nor night. It's absolutely unique. But at evening time, it shall happen. All right, so now we've got a clue. It's dark. You can't tell is it day, is it light, because the, the sun hasn't been shining for a while, but it's going to be at the evening time. Listen to this, that it will be light. You guys, how can it be? How can God say there's going to be no light, and then all of a sudden there's light? The moon is darkened, the, moon is, the sun is darkened, the moon is darkened, the stars are gone. What is giving light? The glory of God. Because Jesus is back, he doesn't need the sun. He is brighter than the sun. He's going to come back with the most dazzling display of light and glory and power that this world has ever seen. Now, can I let you in on something? Ephesians chapter 1. I know I shouldn't be in Ephesians, but I'm going to be 15 through 21. The power that raised Jesus from the dead caused him to ascend to heaven, to sit at the right hand of God above all principalities and powers is in you. The power is in you. Did you know that? Doesn't mean you can go split a mountain. Don't try. It won't happen. You can jump on it all you want. But it does mean... Everything that God has required of you, you can do. Whatever God has called you to do, you can do. He wants you to live holy, he'll give you the power to do it. He wants you to be a good husband, he'll give you the power to do it. He wants you to be a good child, he'll give you the power to do it. All right, anyways, um, it's, he's the light, he's the brightness. All right, verse, verse 8. Can, oh, can you imagine? No sun, no moon, totally dark. And then all of a sudden, it's like, where is that light coming? It's a person. It's the radiance of Jesus. Verse 
8, there's going to be a third thing. So what does he do? He splits a mountain. He shines his glorious light. And third, he creates a river. Ooh, wait a minute. It kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Let there be light. There were four rivers in the Garden of Eden. There was, I believe the Garden of Eden was a temple spot, and Adam and Adam was in kind of like the first priest type. I think this whole worship temple theme runs throughout Genesis all the way through Revelation. Talk to me more about that, but it's a phenomenal study. Anyways, in that day, verse 8 says this, in that day it shall be that living waters, no, not Dalestead waters that we have on earth today, but living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea. The eastern sea is the dead sea. It is dead. Okay, now some scientists say they've found some microbes that survive in that salty condition. But I've been in that Dead Sea many times. We have swam in it. You don't even need to just simply sit in it. It'll hold you up. It's so dense with salt and minerals. Um, The waves, as the waves crash against the rocks, all the rocks are caked with salt. And uh, there's some of the most uh, helpful, healthy black mud that you can cover yourself with. It just takes care of all sorts of itchy skin diseases, things like that. It is phenomenal. But the one thing, there's no life down there. There's no fish. You, you can fish all day like I, do, like I could and, and I, just like up here, I wouldn't catch anything. Why? There's no fish in that sea. It is dead. It's called the Dead Sea for a reason. The Western Sea is the Mediterranean Sea. So here's what happens. A river flows from Jerusalem, half of them toward the Eastern Sea, half towards the Western Sea. Now we know from Ezekiel 47, the river starts underneath the temple. It's going to come underneath the temple and underneath the threshold of the temple. Do you guys remember Ezekiel's vision of this? He, like, he sees the living waters in Ezekiel 47 and he stands in the water. Like, who wouldn't? Give me water of youth. Bring me back to my days when I was a teenager. He's, he's in the water and it's up to his ankles. And then he goes a little bit further and now it's up to his knees. Then he goes a little bit further down the river, and now it's up to his hips, and now the river is so deep, he can't even swim across it. It is that big. All right? That's what's coming out from under the temple. It is living water. Ezekiel 47 says, wherever this water touches, it heals the land. It restores the land to the Garden of Eden. Now, many people say, well, that's just metaphorical. There's not going to be such a river Listen, if the Bible says it's a river and it's full of living water and it will heal the land, it is going to do that. It is real water. I take the, I take the Bible literally. He's not giving us some word pictures about... So, now, I do believe also it kind of pictures the Holy Spirit, but it's literal, physical water. If it, goes, if it goes past a marshy area that is dead and salty and it doesn't leak into there, that place stays dead and marshy in the Millennial Kingdom. It's going to show you there's even death in the Millennial Kingdom. There's still people that need to be saved in the Millennial Kingdom. They were born of flesh and blood, and they need to place their faith in their, in their Savior, just like we do. Well, this healing water is going to flow towards the East and Western. It says when it hits the Dead Sea, it's going to populate that Dead Sea with the best of fish. Open a restaurant. They're in the Millennial Kingdom restaurant. Fish at the, you can't call it the Dead Sea anymore. The live sea. There you go. It's going to happen both summer and winter. It shall occur. And then I love this verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. So the Lord, divine, shall be king. He's human. 
over all the earth. He's the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name one. Meaning, he is the only God that will be worshipped. His is the only name that will be exalted and praised. Ah, oh, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Are you guys excited about this day? It is going to happen. Then it says, verse 10, all the land shall be turned into a plain. There's one more geographical change. All the land shall be turned into a plain, a big flat surface from Geba to Ramon south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate from the Tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. doesn't matter where those locations are. Here's what's going to happen. All of the Middle East will go to a flat plain and then Jerusalem, where Jerusalem, the city, is located, it will elevate up out of the ground, and it'll be the highest location on planet Earth. And you want to go see Jesus, you're going to go up the mountain, just like Isaiah 2 says. All the nations. The nations are going to grab each other and say, hey, hey, you know God, bring me to him. I want to see him. I want to meet him face to face. They will grab the sleeve of a Jewish man. Ten people will. And say, bring me to Jesus. And you're going to take him up the mountain. All right, he's up on top of the hill. Let's go. It's a hike. Phenomenal. That's what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. Jesus is, is, his throne is a highly exalted place. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't he deserve it? All right. Well, that's Jerusalem. But now what we really are going to figure out in the next part of the text is, how does Jesus rescue the people out of Jerusalem? Because we didn't get any details. So now Zachariah is going to give us details. How does the king win the battle? How does he win the war? Verse 11. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Remember I told you this morning all the wars and battles of people that have plundered Jerusalem? It'll never, ever happen again. Jerusalem, with Jesus in it, is perfectly safe. By the way, if you are in Christ. You are perfectly safe. You know that, right? If you are not in Christ, if you are in Adam, bad. Look out, right? In Christ. Verse 12. Here's how he rescues. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Can you picture it? Humanity, unsaved humanity, rebels against God. They're going against God with weapons of man. And his, okay, 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says that the brightness of the glory of Jesus will destroy the enemy. His light is all it takes. Can you approach holy God Without having problems, if, you, if you're a sinner, can you approach a holy God? Absolutely not. You'll be fried to a crisp. Jesus comes back with all of this glorious light. They're shielding their eyes and they're like, what? What's going on? We, we can't aim and shoot right now. And then literally the heat and the glory of Jesus causes their flesh to melt. Their eyes will just dissolve in their sockets. Their skeletons are standing up. And the next thing you know, their skeletons crash to the ground. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? It is going to happen. God is holy, and the rebels who have not trusted him will perish. Did they have an opportunity to be saved? Absolutely they did. What did they do? They rejected. They were offered eternal life, and they turned their back on it. 
man. Do you ever wonder if somebody we've talked to maybe could be one of these people? I mean, I've traveled around the world and talked to many different people of many different cultures. I wonder if all this were to take place, the rapture, and then a short time in seven years, and then Jesus is back in eight, seven and a half, eight years, nine years. Maybe some of those are standing in Jerusalem trying to fight the Lord, and their flesh will just dissolve off of their body. Can you fight against God? No. You won't win. Well, all right. Paul says you can't approach God who's in, he lives in unapproachable light. He's that holy. We need a filter. Who's our filter? Jesus Christ, yeah. Without him, we would perish. Verse 13, It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor, maybe grasping for safety before they melt, and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. So on one hand, you're grasping for help, and the other hand, you're punching him in the face. Um, <laughs> sin, sin, I wrote, I wrote this in my Bible. Sin is chaos. Sin is simply chaos. Where there is sin, there is going to be chaos. Panic. Pandemonium. Oh, I put here, sin is the cause of all quarrels. Every man will raise his hand against his neighbors. There are endless quarrels in hell. You think people are getting along in hell when they get there? They're not going to be. It's not a big party place. They're going to be fighting each other for whatever little satisfaction they can get down there. All right, keep going. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, but this time by Jesus, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Oh, it's the prosperity of the kingdom. Jesus, he wins it all. He gets it all. He's the king, and he owns it all, gets it all. It's all his. And doesn't he deserve it? Yes, amen. Verse 15, So also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, and on all the cattle that will be in those camps. That's the enemy. Those are the enemies, animals. So shall this plague be. Boy, even the camels and the donkeys and the horses and the mules, their flesh will just dissolve right off of them. That is how great God is. Boy. Hey, we've done three points. Here's the last. Jerusalem is finally restored. It's finally the way it should be. This is what God intended in the first place. And it shall come to pass, verse 16 says, that everyone who is left of all the nations... Oh, man. Does this verse make me get a little choked up. Here's why. Even though the nations were rebels and and enemies of God, some in each of those nations were true believers, and they did not perish. When everybody else was dissolving, and the flesh was falling off, and their eyes were dissolving out of their eye sockets, some had trusted the Lord at the last moment, and they were left. It says, and all of those who, everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, so they were part of the initial battle, but in the midst of the battle, they, wo- they woke up. They were like, aha, he is the Savior. He is God who has paid for my sin. They will place their faith in him alone, and they will be left behind. They shall go up from year to year to worship the king, 
the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's Jerusalem restored. They're going to keep, I think, different feasts, but for sure they're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Now, I had this, I did this in my own, and I thought about why the Feast of Tabernacles? Why, why, why? And I, then I look, began to look at commentaries. And you know, every commentary has a different view about all of this. And I was like, mm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I still like my view the best. So I'm going to share with you my view. The Feast of Tabernacles was the Feast of Booths. What the nation Israel had to do was take four different types of plants and build a sukkah, build a booth, build a tent out of branches. We did it once here at the church. You build a hut or a tent out of branches, and then God said, you may live in a a fancy schmancy house, get out of your house for seven nights and sleep in your homemade tent for seven nights once a year. That's what God said to do. Why? Because, and God even says this in Leviticus 23, I want you to remember that I made you wander, the word wander, I made you wander in the wilderness all of those years. Why, why were they wandering in the wilderness? Because of their great obedience? No, because they rejected the Lord and disobeyed him. That's why they wandered. So they're sitting in their booths, remembering we had strayed from God, and we were wanderers. How many years were they wanderers? Forty years wandering around this world. Well, the Middle East, right? So now, are they, are they wandering anymore? No. They are home safe. So they're no longer wandering. So they're going to go to the Feast of Booths, and they're going to say, Praise the Lord. He is dwelling in our midst. He is tabernacling amongst us face to face, and we're not wandering anymore. See, before I was 26, I was wandering. Oh, I loved, I loved religion. You guys, I loved religion. I, I, I just thought the, the coolest thing was being a Jesuit priest where I didn't have to talk to anybody. I could take vows of silence. I could take vows of even eating, and I, and I could just sit in nature, walk a, walk a little path. Sit under the, I sat under two, uh, two Jesuit priests as they indoctrinated us 24 hours a day, literally even at night. I mean, just the whole thing. And I just thought, this, this is going to make God happy with me. Finally, he's going to be pleased with me. And I came away empty. Right? But this, the Lord satisfies. So for the Feast of Tabernacles, these people were wandering, searching for gods that would satisfy, searching for religion that would satisfy. Nothing satisfied, but then they found Christ and he satisfies. So every year they remember that Jesus in the Feast of Booth saying, finally God is dwelling with us. He is with us. He is our God. We are his people. We are not wandering anymore. I'm not wandering from religion to religion trying to find something to satisfy what satisfies is right in front of my face. It is Jesus. It's going to be awesome. They're going to do that every year. And it shall be that whatever the families of the church, which any nations, any families or nations of the earth that do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. He will discipline them and punish them with no rain during the millennial kingdom. No rain means no crops. No crops means many are going to die. Disobedience in the millennial kingdom, you're going to die. You don't trust the Lord. Um, you, are, you are going to die. If the family of, here's an example. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague. Ooh. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not, keep, who not, who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know. Not only is there no rain, maybe they get the same plague of the flesh-dissolving thing. You know, 
I, I've gone to the hospital to see people that have flesh-eating bacteria. It is a terrible thing. If you get a flesh-eating bacteria, can you imagine eating the plague where your flesh just runs off like water? That's a bad thing. Um, disobedience. God does, Jesus in the kingdom is not going to tolerate it. Remember the families? If you have a son or a daughter that's a false teacher, a false prophet, um, they, they're going to be so concerned in the millennial kingdom about holiness, they will throw a spear through their own child and say, you shouldn't have done that. Ouch. Um, and then, he says in verse 19, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So one quick thing about that. Does God care about how he is worshipped? Does he care that he's worshipped? Oh, what an offense to know, to, to know that what Jesus has done. And then he says, hey, I, just, I want you to come up and worship at my feet during the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's got people on the world that says, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Wow. So, do you know why we worship on Sundays? It's the day he rose from the dead. And I want him to know, I care about that day, Lord. I care about the fact that you rose from the dead and you suffered and paid for my sin. You are worthy for me to take time out for public worship. That's why I'm so glad you're here. He cares about being worshipped. He's got a whole army of worshipers right here this evening. And then, the last thing. Here it is. We're done. Verse 20. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem. Yeah, okay. Even the pot that you fry eggs in or you put your pancake batter in, those pots, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. Everyone. Not just Levites. Everyone. In that day, there shall no longer, no longer be a Canaanite, an unclean person in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now, this phrase, holiness to the Lord, it was only found one place in the Old Testament. It was, on, it was engraved on the, the gold band of the high priest. He had holiness to the Lord engraved on the, high, on the, on the um, headpiece. All right? You could not, in the Old Testament, just write holiness to the Lord anywhere, like graffiti. You couldn't do it. Because that was holy and nothing else was. Everything else was, was not. was profane, meaning outside of the sanctuary, outside of the temple, was called profane. All right, so in the kingdom, even the bells of, of horses, which are just the most common thing, right? Bells are so common on horses. Um, the most common thing is going to be holy unto the Lord, set apart for his glory and honor. Just common things. Your cooking pots at home, they are as holy cooking, you know, your, your steaks and eggs as they are in handling the sacrificial things in the temple. Holiness will pervade his kingdom. His kingdom will be one of holiness, peace, righteousness, all of that. Isn't that wonderful? See, we don't understand it because we're living in such an unholy world that we don't understand what it's going to be like when everything is just is set apart for the Lord. Everything. It's going to be great. You know there's coming a day when we're free from this sinful life, sinful world, sinful body, everything. I just can't wait. But the kingdom, we don't talk enough about it. It's coming. 
Praise God. So one last question before we end on this. If, is God concerned about holiness? Okay. Is he concerned about holiness in the church? You bet he is. That doesn't mean that we're legalistic, that we're trying to earn God's favor by doing good. That's legalism. But we're simply responding to his character. Right? We're responding to his character. And we're living in light of his character by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not like if you do these ten things, you're holy. It is holiness is in response to all that Christ is and all that he's done. And we're driven, just like Ted, just like Ted and Cindy's son. Oh, to be like him. We are, we are called to be conformed to his image, degree by degree, more holy day by day. Praise God. So let's do this. Let's be a holy church. Let's be a worshiping church. Let's be a waiting church, waiting for the coming of Jesus. And I think we're going to look at each other and kind of smile and wink. And we're like, he stepped on the mountain. Guess what? The lights are going out. Yep, they went out. And then what's coming next? A river's being formed. Wow, look at the river. I mean, we're going to watch this unfold. God is good. He is so good. Father, thank you for this book of Zechariah. What a journey it has been. Uh, Just what you're going to do to Israel as Jesus comes back and makes everything right. We love you. We are so thankful to be part of your plan. Not Israel and not those blessings of Uh, the kingdom that were promised to Abraham way back 2000 BC, but we have the blessings of being the the church. And as we begin next Sunday to just uncover all of the riches in Christ, starting in chapter 1, verse 3, and just going all the way through the end of 3, just promise, promise of rich, rich treasure after treasure, we are going to be just blown away by your grace and mercy. And then, Father, our response, we are going to stand up with boldness and courage, and we're going to live in light of those truths. It's going to change our marriages. It's going to change our work environments. It's going to change the way we maybe even shop, the way we think, the way we spend our free time. It's, it's going to put everything in light of the gospel. We are looking forward and eager to your work in the church. We've seen now what you're going to do in Israel through the Messiah and holiness and worship. And now, Lord, we want, we're going to see what you want in the church. And Father, we are going just to do everything we can to bring glory to your name in this study. Thank you, Father, for Zechariah and the, prophet, uh, the prophecies that we've studied. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. All right, everybody.